Yeah, I wanted to start off by thanking my new intern, Sarah. We're now able to roll out a lot more stuff behind the scenes. So big thank you to her. We are starting a newsletter. Hopefully it'll be a weekly or bi-weekly. So check out the website down at the bottom. You can subscribe for updates and I'm calling it training for ultras, training diaries, be a lot of summary information, but then also we'll pull like great quotes from the interviews and kind of summarize a lot of what's taking place just so you can be in the loop on that. And I mean, big congrats to Dion Leonard. I was crewing, pacing, filming. We're going to have Harvey Lewis and Dion Leonard on for a live YouTube event. It's going to be at noon Eastern Thursday, August 5th. So tomorrow, if you're listening today, and then we'll also, we'll throw it out as a podcast episode also and record it. But Lucia's going to be taking comments, you know, in the live comment section and just, it'd be enjoyable to, you know, have a few people watching real time, but most importantly, we'll record it and talk to the winner of Badwater and the sixth place overall finisher, Dion Leonard as well. Um, but Harvey Lewis is a legend and it'll just be, it'll be fun uh, to get to chat with those guys. So don't miss out on the live event there. And also wanted to note that Dion's, so his Badwater 135 is going to be turned into a film from the footage that I got. I'm calling it Thanks for the Journey and the trailer, the official trailer is on YouTube. So check out youtube.com slash training for ultra. This is going to be a great adventure, a catastrophe. If we could just free ourselves of our perceived limitations and tap into our internal fire, the possibilities are endless. I'll tell you about it when it happened in the race, but to be honest with you, it happened even before the race. It happened in the training. A great cause. Oh, thank you. I respect that, man. So you keep doing what you do, it, man. Keep inspiring. For all you kids out there, stay safe and stay strong. Hey everyone, it's the Training for Ultra podcast. Scott Jurek here. I was physically totally wrecked. I, I had nothing left. I figured I might as well move as quickly as possible towards the finish line if I was going to be moving towards it anyways. How do you even do that? I decided if I could, you know, finish a 50 miler, I could probably run across the country. 100 miles is not that far. Today's guest on the Train for Ultra podcast is a record-breaking ultra runner, cyclist, swimmer, rower, author, and activist, Katie Spots. A few of her accomplishments include rowing across the Atlantic Ocean in 70 days, cycling across the U.S., swimming the length of the Allegheny River, and in three separate runs, she has run nonstop across the state of New Hampshire, Vermont, and Maine. Each state was an individual ultramarathon. Even more impressive than her mileage, however, is her selflessness. Every single adventure she goes on, she raises money for clean water. Her most recent feat was running 11 ultramarathons in 11 days for 11 water projects in Uganda. She accomplished this on July 1st, 2021 by running 31 miles every single day as she made her way from Cincinnati to Cleveland, Ohio. Not only did Katie beat her record for most consecutive ultras by a female, she eclipsed her individual fundraising goal 
by over $5,000. She ended up raising like $40,000 for these projects. So um, big accomplishment. And just I'm proud to have spoken with her and Charlie Ingle before she did this uh, this new big project. So it will be great to catch up with uh, Katie and hope you enjoy this episode. Thank you to Exoskin. Definitely check them out. T, the number 4U20 for, I think it's 15% off at this point. It, it ranges throughout time, but they have new colored toe socks and you know, I'm a sucker for toe socks. I, I absolutely love those. Definitely throwing on the toe socks. Their calf sleeves are great. They now have underwear and compression tops. And I, I really am a big fan of almost all their products. I use them during all my races. So shout out to Exoskin. Thank you, Patreon supporters. We're throwing in this new Patreon kind of addition. You get to be a part of the audience of my interviews. So I can't promise it for every single one, but for a lot of my interviews, I'm now sending out within the closed Facebook group an audience member link. So you can listen uh, and, and watch real time when I'm doing the interviews. So you'll know all the mass editing that I do, but it's just another added benefit for you Patreon supporters. And I couldn't do this without you guys, you make this all work. I'm joined here by uh, a now friend of the show, Katie Spots. She's the author of Just Keep Rowing. She sent me this copy. Thank you for that, by the way. Yeah, no worries. And uh, Katie's just done some pretty crazy ultra running. So I, I had to have you on and catch up from the last episode. Yeah, I mean, ultra running is definitely fresh on the mind because of just finishing my latest endurance challenge in running. So yeah, I'm super stoked that this all worked out. So if people haven't listened to or watched the episode with Charlie Angle and yourself, um, catch us up. Like what, what were you going after here? Yeah. So this was kind of like an idea that I've had for a couple of years now. And because I'm in the Coast Guard and kind of in the military, get moved around a lot, I really had to put work first and adventures second. And so I was just kind of waiting for that period of time where I knew I could train, I could commit to the, you know, 10, 20 hours of training and not be moved around. So the last challenge. It, um, it was called Run for Water, and it was um, running 11 ultra marathons in 11 days. And the bigger purpose behind it was to raise funds for 11 clean water projects in Uganda. So I could have done that journey anywhere, but I, um, I did it along the Ohio to Erie Trail. So it starts at the Ohio River in Cincinnati and finishes at Lake Erie. Um, in Cleveland. So that ended up being pretty much 11 ultra marathons, the distance um, kind of, yeah, the breakdown of it all of doing like 31 miles every day. So yeah, just finished a couple weeks ago. I mean, big congrats. Thank you. Kind of uh, a spoiler alert there for the listener (laughs) viewer. Um, But uh, I mean, I have trouble getting recovered after one 50k on pavement i'm trying to think or just you know a harder 50k 
And so you decide to do 11 in a row. Um, Tell me about just day before, like going into this. And then I got to hear, we got to walk through a lot of these details. I just am interested. I'm sure I'll have a million questions coming up here as we get rolling. So, I mean, ideally you go into these things feeling prepared, feeling like you could do everything you needed to do, feeling like, you know, the hardest part is over because you did the work, you did the training. Um, That is not how this journey began. I thought I could do the splits. It turns out I can't. Instead, I like pulled my hamstring and this was six weeks before. So my, with my physical therapist, he you know, he was working with me and, and I've never had a hamstring issue. And he was encouraging me because he was like, well, this wasn't caused by running too much. It was just stretching like, you know, too much too soon, being a little too, you know, ambitious, I guess, with, with my, my ability to do the splits. I've never been able to do it. And, uh, so I, wait, wait, wait. so, so my brain went, I was thinking running splits. You no, tried to do I physically to do... like a gymnast split. I I don't know. I just, I like having mini challenges too. And that one seemed, you know, reasonable, <laughs> realistic. And it turns out I can't do them. I really can't do them. I, I mean, I guess I could have taken it easier, but so I injured myself. I was totally injured. I couldn't really run and I was in physical therapy two or three times a week. So the best thing I could do was not run at all. I was supposed to do like an a hundred K there's a cross Connecticut run that that is hosted every year. And I biked it instead. I was rollerblading a lot, but I started the journey and I was you know, I mean, I was joking that, well, I, I guess I'm recovered into the sense that I'm not overtrained, but yeah. um, that was the first time I've ever done a challenge. And I mean, I've trained for like Ironmans and things like that. And it's common that the week before your race, you might get sick because you're, you're tapering and your body's like, oh, you were too busy exercising so much. I didn't have a chance to get sick. Now that you're resting, now I, I might be like, it kind of, I don't know. That's just what someone else kind of a coach explained to me that it's not uncommon to get like sick or fluish before a race. But I was, I was, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, my, my, um, physical therapist said he doesn't think that he didn't think it would be an issue, but it was anyone's guess. Like you never, you can never say to a doctor, when am I going to be healed? And they give you a range. It's not like, so, um, I mean, the benefit or the plus side, the silver lining is that I was very like conservative off the bat. And, um, I think sometimes the day after day stuff is not necessarily how hard you push, but how much you hold back, how much you stay in a steady heart rate zone, how much you don't, you know, kind of run your own race, run your own pace. And so, I did like 95% of the time run the whole thing by myself just to kind of stick me into this where I was like listening to my own body. But yeah, I mean, I'd say the biggest feeling I had um, the whole time was just like, this is going to be a great adventure or a catastrophe. And I can't believe we convinced people this people that this would be a, a good idea just because it's like, I mean, 
I've done a lot of endurance challenges enough to know you never really do know. Yeah. Yeah. What, I mean, I think morning of the race, you did like a group start. I think you probably had like Cincinnati, like local media coverage, right? Yes. And what is that like when the world knows you're going after something and there's a high probability of failure? (laughs) I mean, I think, first of all, let's reframe it as true failure is not even having the courage to try, right? And so I feel like the hardest part is often starting. And in some ways, a lot of the harder parts were already in the past. Like running is the joy, like all the planning, the logistics, the phone calls, that kind of stuff. I feel like because I do those things, I appreciate what the running is, but like... I feel like you do all that stuff just to be able to, you know, to, to, to be able to do it. So I, I mean, I feel like it's more, instead of it being pressure on me, it's just like we collectively, anyone who's following get to figure out if it's possible or not. And, um, and if it, if it isn't, then I succeed in finding out what my limit was or my limit right now. And I don't know anyone successful who hasn't failed. And so I'm more interested in learning from failure. And and continue. If, if success means failing, then, um, yeah, I think it would be silly to, to be like, I only want to do things that I'm successful at. And I, I mean, it's, I think I, what I'm saying is just that it comes with the territory and, um, our bodies are always changing and, um, you know, so I don't necessarily take it as like a personal, it's, you know, like I didn't try or I'm a failure. It's just, that's how, how, where my body is at today. And I hope I can learn and grow. And, and, uh, I mean, what's great about some of this is like, I didn't email anyone or ask anyone else necessarily because no one, I don't really know anyone else who has done this. And so, I kind of like that part because it's, it gets me in that mindset of like, we, we're just figuring it out. We have no idea what we're doing. And, and so I learned a lot through it just through firsthand experience rather than trying to live out someone else's experience. But I mean, of course I love hearing about what other people do and, 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 but, but yeah, at the core, I'm more interested in finding out myself than reading about it or I mean, what was the first big lesson that you learned? Was it day um, one with all those, was it chicken nuggets or french fries? I think it was french oh, fries. french fries. <laughs> um, yeah, I was expecting to be like all about those french fries. Okay, so there's a few things I learned, um, of course. <laughs> but like I couldn't do french fries after two days. Like my body... I don't know, one day I would be craving one food, the other I wouldn't be able to touch it. And like I had weird reactions and weird cravings. And sometimes I'd wake up in the middle of the night and eat and other times I wouldn't. And so I think, yeah, after the first like three, three or four days, it started to like stabilize and normalize. But um, I mean, I think the biggest thing as an analytical person that I took away from it was, I mean, on day two and three, I would say that 
because I did triathlon, it was to my advantage because I knew what like bricks were like when you run, when you go on a run right after cycling for like 112 miles, your legs just feel like they're bricks. And, and I was always mm, like, there's this balance between injury and then just like fatigue. And so I knew that bricks aren't necessarily, it's just like your muscles like break. Yeah. The lactic acid and all that. So Day two and three, that's what I was really faced with, just legs that, I mean, I could run, but going up and down stairs were really hard. Starting and stopping were really hard. It was just best if I go, never stop. And like, yeah, so the biggest lesson for those first few days was like, I was like, what am I doing wrong? Am I not drinking enough? Am I not eating enough? Am I not sleeping enough? Am I not foam rolling enough? Am I not stretching? Am I not, am I eating like what am, and, and I broke down every little piece outside of running all the fueling, all the recovery. And the only thing that I would need to do is not run 31 miles. I just accepted that if you do everything quote unquote right, you're still going to have fatigue. And so you're still going to feel that. And I think at the beginning of it, I was so hyper aware of every little thing because I mean, no one wants to end their journey because their toenail, but if I didn't take care of my toenails, I could have had an infected toenail and it'd be over with just because I wasn't cleanly. Like, and so I, I mean, yeah, that hyper-awareness to all the things that could go wrong, but then also accepting things are going to feel, you know, you're going to feel hurt, things are going to be wrong. And so the acceptance of it, the pain, the acceptance of this is still going to be hard, even if you do everything right, was really helpful for me to not fight the pain and just be like, oh, okay, this is just the way it is. And I know it won't always be this way. And it kind of left me on the edge of my seat in a way that I was like, I wonder if it will get better. I wonder if our bodies will adapt or it will just get harder. And I've definitely gone either way where it just gets harder and harder. And then other times where it's like, wow, okay, the body's adapting to this. So, Yeah, I mean, it's it's been a lesson for myself. Like, pain's not linear. It's not, yeah. you know, it doesn't just get worse and worse and worse. And if it does, that's typically like a DNF situation, but what was the weirdest food craving you had? You said you were like trying to, your body was sending kind of weird signals for the first few days. Was there like one or two just oddities where you're like, I never eat barbecue, whatever. Like it's just some weird craving. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, I definitely, I mean, nothing was, too crazy I definitely always like watermelon and that that I never got sick of um sometimes it's like salt salt and vinegar type stuff um I mean I I the weirdest stuff I had was with eggs like some days I could do eggs and then other days it would it would not work and it, it did get 100 degrees with the heat index so I I was mixing between Perpetuum and Tailwind and I couldn't do anything with protein because the heat just kind of soured it because I mean, even though I was meeting up every five miles, I could no longer do, I had to stick with just 
pure a sugar base rather than sh- sugar with protein. So, um, yeah, nothing too crazy. Um, it's interesting. Using Perpetua makes a lot of sense in Tailwind. Those are yeah. two pretty different products, but I've never thought about mixing them, kind of using them in tandem. Yeah, that's what I have done in the past. Like I alternate between the two um, just because I did see value in getting some protein in. So it would help with the spiking of your sugar, but it worked out being fine to just switch over. And I mean, a part of it is like, what can I put in my body that I can keep down? And I never had a problem keeping tailwind down. And uh, when you're burning whatever, six, 7,000 calories a day, I mean, that's a huge priority. If you can't keep food down, you can't rebuild those muscles and you're just in the negative and falling deeper and deeper into that negative. So Tailwind was all I really needed the whole way. And then I just mixed in bananas and watermelon just because to go from, you know, your stomach shrinking from just liquid, 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 and then eating, trying to eat a full meal, it would like make me want to fall asleep. So I, I did the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Pick, but... pickle, pickles too. Like yeah. it, it has a little bit of mass to it. Yeah. Uh, just... To kind of let your stomach absorb other things. Yeah, totally. And, um, I mean, I, F a day like five, I was, I took like Tylenol pretty regularly, like every, like twice a day in the morning and then in the afternoon. And I liked the idea of having some food in my system to be taking that into. Um, what was your recovery process like? Did you fall in a routine that started working from you? Was it half a pint of ice cream followed um, by foam rolling? So like, what was your routine with recovery? Cause you did it 11 times. Yeah. So the first two or three days, I really tried to take a cat nap afterwards. Um, the idea sounded great, but in reality, like I had so much adrenaline and like my body was in such a state of like fight or flight. And I didn't even really do caffeine until the last day I did a Red Bull. But aside from that, I, I didn't want to, mess with in yeah I mean there's a lot of reason I didn't do caffeine but um I the idea was I wanted to take a cat nap just so I could like get an extra boost of on like being able to recover but I sometimes even had trouble sleeping and falling asleep and sometimes I'd like wake up in the middle of the night thinking I should be running and even in my sleep I was thinking of running so that's kind of how every waking waking moment was was about running but um immediately after it was always doing like um a protein drink like one of the tailwind recovery i think it's recoverite and then um yeah starting to get some solids in i i mean i really never was super dehydrated and even when it was like 100 on a few of the days, I, yeah, I didn't, I, I was surprised by that because I've done other events and it didn't always work out that way. But, um, yeah, definitely getting some nutrition in and I always, um, put my legs 
like up the wall just to start getting things to flush back down. Um, like the last bigger run, it was like 130 mile, 38 mile run. And I had edema. So I was definitely like, okay, I got to get the, make sure my ankles don't get super swollen. And, and then, um, I did ice baths, uh, pretty regularly and the Norma tech boots and what else? Describe, describe what goes through your head when you jump in an ice bath after a 50 K every day in a hundred degrees. I, I used to hate those so much. I'd put myself through it. Then well, I ended up just not doing them anymore because they were more painful than the actual ultras. <laughs> so I would usually do ice bath immediately after in my running clothes. And my friend Lori, we would sometimes, like, especially the first three minutes, she would, like, hang out and we'd just listen to music or do something to distract it. And then after three minutes it was, it was, it was all right. Um, I think it, it was good though, because I mean, when you're that overheated, it's, it's like, you'll take whatever, (laughs) whatever you can get. But I, I guess, yeah, just because I was so, not necessarily like afraid, but like, I kind of, I feel like you, you have to have a level of respect for ultras, right? Like, I don't want to mess with you. I'll do whatever you need me to do to make it possible to me, for me to do this tomorrow. So I had so much fear or respect for ultras that if it, if it meant ice baths and it meant that I could enjoy the day tomorrow more, I'd, I'd definitely, I, yeah, yeah, that's the second you lose respect for the distance, you're always like severely humbled. Like yeah. ultras are very good at that. Um, yeah. That's what, what's sure. another like lesson or event that took place that you can recall that kind of sticks out in your mind? Um, so I, I think this is still a part of my, <clears throat> my personal journey, but like, um, and, and something that I, I definitely want to learn more about, but I talked to Lori and then Lori was on the crew and Scott was a filmmaker. So he was filming the whole thing. And, um, I think it was like, you know, I, 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 you definitely have pain when, when you're doing these things and people deal with pain differently. And I recognize, you know, they, they call it the pain cave. They, 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 you know, and, and, one of my goals through this was definitely to maintain the friendships. And I've heard all these horror stories of like people who rely on crew, they end up being really nasty and like eh, impatient. And, and I, I'm happy to say we're still friends and all that. And, and so this is kind of related to, um, you know, something I recognize going through that is when I am struggling, instead of reaching out and asking for help or telling someone how I'm feeling, it was almost like, um, yeah, kind of like this sense of like suffering silently and just not burdening others with it. And I I think there's a time and place, like if something needs an immediate fix, 
Um, but that was one of the reasons that I was nervous about running with other people, like running with random strangers. And, and there ended up being people who joined and it ended up being fun. And, and there were like events hosted on the route to, for people to come specifically for like the first 5k of the day. But I just remember like the parts that made me so nervous were, um, well, what if, what do I do if other people see me struggling? And now I have to assure them that it's okay. And that like, I'm still okay. I'm, and, and 90% of the time it's all fun and games, but for the 10%, it's like, I know I don't want to, yeah, I don't want my pain to be something that causes other people worry. And so I think it was just learning that, um, that I, I probably don't need to always do that, but also like recognizing that, um, there was this big question mark, like, well, what if other people see me really struggling, then what? And, um, maybe that's just like me learning to be more humble or, uh, but that was something that, that was like, well, what's that all about? Like, so for, for you to like, sort of internalize the pain more than normal is that is it equivalent to like thinking for that extra second before speaking essentially so you don't upset the crew yes yeah so like, like when does when it I, really hurt do i really need to complain about my calf right now like was it i'll think about it for a minute before kind of verbalizing it correct like i i was always like aware that it's stressful being on crew. And like, I'll give you an example where this was very evident. So I was rowing across the Atlantic and I never told my parents anything, but it's great. It's fine. I love it. Life's great. And, and because I knew that they were already at home worrying that their daughter was going to die and be eaten by sharks. So I think it's healthy to go know where to go. Um, but I was just, because it was much more public, it was like, well, what if I'm in my suffer fest? What do I do? How, what do I tell these people? Like, I love life. This is great. Don't worry about me. Don't call the ambulance. It's going to be fine. Like the, but, the Columbus news crew just sees you like limping <laughs> along for and crying. We're going live on whatever <laughs> channel. And here's Katie limping and crying. Like, Maybe donations would actually have gone up, but um, oh. no, that was the thing. I I I was constantly we were joking around all the time, and and uh, the jokes were always about like if I throw up right now, will people donate more? If I if I like, <laughs> I mean, and and I will backtrack a little bit. I love how you can nonchalantly just throw out like when I was just rowing across the Atlantic. Like I know I'm talking the right person. That that was crazy. Um. <laughs> So what was there one or two other things that stick out in your, your mind? Um, I mean, yeah, I were mean, you excited to get to Columbus. I've never run city to city on that scale. I don't think, um, not uh, like a major city, maybe like a little off the map type city. Yeah. So Columbus was great. It was that there was a event in Cincinnati, Columbus and Cleveland. So there were people that came out and were running and, and some local churches. And that was the first time 
that there were like people cheering and there were like little kids with signs. It was so adorable. Um, and so pretty much scattered along the route for that day for like 10 miles, they were kind of leapfrogging and, and cheering me. And so that was, that was really incredible. And then, um, what else is, does, well, does Columbus, Cleveland? Oh, good. Columbus was where I did my first marathon when I was 18. And so I think that really hit home because the marathon was the first endurance challenge I've ever done from going from like bench warmer, not thinking I could run one mile. And I was like forced to take a gym class. So I took a running walking class because it was the easy A. And so that's kind of how, you know, just being able to go back to the city, I did my first marathon. And after that first marathon, um, I, you know, I would have never imagined doing something like this because that marathon felt like Mount Everest. And so I, yeah, I think it was just cool to go back to a place you've been and then be doing something, something else. Um, and then because it was like the halfway ish point, that was also pretty exciting. Um, yeah, I've, I've done, uh, what is it? The nationwide children's, right? Yeah, it's that, like one was that of the, the marathon. It's in October. I'm not sure. Yeah, with like each mile has a child, like their photo, and they're like battling some, you know, something serious. Um, is that? I'm assuming um, that was your first. Yeah, I didn't know if they did that. <laughs> <laughs> it was back in what, like 2005. They might have changed the the per mile like each mile being sponsored um, oh, okay and so is, is was cleveland exciting i've never like run the paths that you've run was it sketchy was any of this trail like scary at all um, um only I, when I, and I love chased. burning river by the way burning oh. river 100 is on my list to get done finally um yeah. So, uh, the only scary part was being chased by a pit bull and, oh. uh, <laughs> okay. So I'm excited to announce I've teamed up with the John Wayne cancer foundation. And so you're going to start hearing a little bit about the John Wayne grit series of races. So this is a nonprofit, uh, foundation that's set up and, a lot of their fundraising comes through these races. The race director, Molly, and I um, have chatted before, and Ethan Wayne, John Wayne's son, and I have also talked prior. We're going to have them both on for an upcoming episode, but they have five races now. Hopefully, I can talk them into putting on some ultras and collaborating down the road, but they have some really cool races. They have a half marathon in Flagstaff, Arizona, coming up September 4th. Highly recommend if you're in the area, check it out. It's just such a great foundation, such a great cause. And cancer is something that affects all of us. We're, we're all one step removed from, from knowing someone that's been deeply affected by it. So I'm just, I'm very excited to work, you know, with the John Wayne Cancer Foundation, team up, not only have fun with races and, and those type of challenges and 
those hopefully we'll put on some special events together and collaborate on that front as well. But it's just a good organization. It's helping a lot of people. So couldn't be prouder to be teaming up with them. Also, big thank you to Tannery Outdoors. If you're interested, use uh, the promo code ULTRA10 for 10% off. But this is just a great company. You know, it's designed for runners by runners. Uh, The founder is an ultra runner. And it's an all-natural mineral-based product, which in this era of, of sunscreen recalls and everything taking place there, it's just comforting knowing um, this is, this is a, a good, honest company, and um, it, it cares about the ultra-running community. It cares about the trails and, and the national parks and state parks. I think 1% of their sales goes back into the park systems, and they they definitely support you know some really great ultra runners and ultra running podcasts. So um, I really like their lip balm, moisturizer, and sunblock. I I definitely have used their sunblock. I I don't lather it on probably like I should, but um, a little it feels like goes a long way. But don't don't quote me on that. And uh, there's no like massive smells to it or anything like that. It just seems like a, a nice high quality product. Um, that does the job, you know, doesn't get you sunburned, but the lip balms smell too good. Um, they're, they're actually really nice and they have SPF 15. That's something a lot of runners don't think about is, uh, some protection for their lips. Plus having lip balm in, in your pack or wherever during races can come in handy. Uh, it's, it's a uh, great company and I truly appreciate their support of the podcast. But I, I listened to the metronome and I, you know, I, I pretty much the whole entire time. And so I didn't even know that this woman was screaming at her dogs until I listened, watched the GoPro footage. But so by the time I saw that the, the dog was chasing me, it was like 10 feet away. So thankfully, uh, you know, Lori was nearby, so I, I was able to run in the van. But uh, yeah, yeah, that was near Cleveland. But uh, most of the time, it's like kind of like a tunnel of trees or yeah, like um, once I got around Cleveland, that's when I started to get gravel. And um, yes, even though it's the Ohio to Erie Trail, it's actually all um, pavement. And if there's two things I would have changed about this, it would have been doing it on gravel and doing it in October where it would be cool. And, um, and the, the colors, I think the fall colors would have been good, but sometimes heat forces you to go slower too, in a good Mm -hmm. way where you're not, you know, you're not breaking down as many muscles because you physically can't. It seems so. pretty torturous to me. I mean, the humidity too in Ohio. It's not necessarily the temperature that's hard. It's like it just takes it out of you. Yeah, I mean, I have the Garmin Endura Endura watch, and it was it like tells me when I'm heat acclimatized, and it's like you are 36, and by the time it was day four or five, or maybe even sooner, it. I did feel pretty acclimatized and honestly that was super encouraging because I have done like Ironman Louisville in August and I 
suffered so much on that race. And to be able to do a 50K in 100 degrees and be okay, I mean, I was definitely putting ice everywhere and, you know, dumping it on my head all the time. And, and the crew, I mean, that, that's all the crew. I mean, if, if they weren't on top of hydration and ice and everything, then I would have probably said a lot different. But I think if you have that. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like bad water training. Um, what, tell me about this metronome thing. What the heck are you listening to? You just listen to a podcast. Wait, are you seriously listening to like click, click, like? Yeah. So I what? there there's music that I could be playing at the same time, but I do it around 180 beats per minute, and okay. I I've I've tried that before. Yeah. So you know, I have done it like on and off 20 minutes, and but honestly, it helps me really get into a zone and. Um, I've noticed I'm right leg dominant. So if I don't listen to the metronome, then I'm over reliant. And then what does that do? It works up the chain and then my posture is different and then I'm injured. So if that's one simple thing that I could do to minimize, like, and help me with help preventing overstriding and, and really just yeah, I think the more I use it, the less I really need to use it too, because my body's I feel, just. I feel like you're highly susceptible to being like hypnotized or something. Like if I had my watch or whatever, like <laughs> click, click, but it'd have to be the right tempo or cadence. Um, <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what it's doing to me. Are, are like you essentially running. going into flow a lot of the time, like in the zone? Does, yeah. yeah. Does your brain turn that. off? Like while you're out there, you must be pretty good at turning your brain off. Yeah. I mean, or not. I don't, I don't know. I, I won't judge, um, either way. And the cats are, are definitely welcome. (laughs) Dogs do. We have an audience now. (laughs) Um, uh, yeah. I mean, I'd say like the first 20 minutes is like getting into it. But I think that's what I love about ultra running is that the longer you go, the less it's about like thinking and, and the more it's about feeling, feeling and um, listening, listening to your body. Because truthfully, our bodies are always telling us something. And in running, I, I could hear it, I could feel it. And it's almost like being a little like race car driver and knowing what, you know, even you could really get focused on your lean. Like, am I leaning forward? Is my jaw, um, you know, relaxed? How is my, how are my shoulders? How, like, even like, I don't know, someone told me that you're supposed to hold your hands like this or something. And like, how, how are my hands and how what I do? Yeah. It's more like meditation and diverts, my like pain signals to like the sensation of touch with my fingers. Yeah. I don't know why I always do I it don't... now. Me um... too. <laughs> <laughs> I'm um... sure there's, yeah, it, there's gotta be something to it, but yeah. I are you, are you going to introduce us to your cat here real quick? <laughs> um, no. If she comes, <laughs> comes back. I'm uh, my friends are in Hawaii, so I'm doing some cat sitting. So tell me, how does your comprehension of time change when you're out doing endurance? 
Like, for instance, you know, rowing across the Atlantic. Uh, like, did your comprehension of time change? Did it feel like a year? I, I forget how long it took you, like 70-something days? I can't remember. Yeah, it took 70 days. And, I mean, in my cabin, I had a little uh, marker where I'd put the tick marks <laughs> on, like, what day it was. And sometimes... Style. Yeah, I even had like a little mini Wilson, like a, a tennis ball, so, because space was tight, so I needed to get a tennis ball version. But um, I mean, with that journey, it's like one day I could be like, I would do anything. I just want ice cream. I just want air conditioning. I just want to hang out with my friends. And then... Other days it would be like, oh, man, this is the best thing ever. I'm in a National Geographic uh, episode, and this is all mine, and I could scream as loud as I want, and I could, you know, I'm just here with nature, and, and, and all I need is what's in, right in front of me. And then, yeah, so it, it was a roller coaster. It never really made sense. It, it, uh, even at the end, I was about to reach land, and I had, like, 30 foot waves and there was no way I would be able to land without a boat towing me in. And I was like, no, this is unassisted. I'm not going to do that. And so, you know, I could have landed there, but I was like, no, I'm not ready after 62 days. So, uh, it, yeah, I mean, I did research about this because there's people who basically the worst form of punishment is social, um, yeah. Like solitary confinement. And so when people similar to what I experience is like, sometimes it's harder to integrate back because it's like your whole universe. So I did experience like almost like I went grocery shopping. And when I saw that there were like 40 options for toothpaste, I was like, I don't even know. I like too many choices. Yes. Like the smells, the, the colors, like, there were a lot of things that were really hard and it was like, yeah, kind of. I've, I've heard of that. that, like people living in a foreign country, um, like the Philippines or wherever, that's just enough of a difference that when you come back, it's, yeah, society like doesn't make sense and it's overwhelming and yeah. yeah it's like you sell you your need car a and you ride your bike. <laughs> you um, need a, like this transition, like it's from one world to the next. So, I mean, that's yeah. interesting. That, that could be a small like charity, honestly, like for, for <laughs> stupid endurance athletes. Um, I haven't gotten that dumb yet. So luckily <laughs> I don't exactly understand the, the extent of that was during your 11 days. Did it rain at all? Was there a big storm? Was there any time where you're like, well, crap, like, I hadn't factored in a tornado day in my 11 and 11? Um, it did. It did rain. Uh, I had a lot of shoes, so I did some swapping of the shoes. Uh, but I think running in the rain is, like, the best. That's the most. In the, in the, yeah, summer, hot summer days, yeah. So we did, um, but it was fun and it wasn't so much that it like my, my, you know, I was getting blisters everywhere because 
yeah. soggy, soggy socks. What was it like being out in like the cornfields? Because a lot of Ohio's just like wheat or corn, just fields. Like, were um, you ever just like the tallest object for miles, or were so, you always like? Yeah, like there were parts in the Amish country where it was just fields, but for the most part, it was almost like this little greenway tunnel where there was a lot of shade. Um, I did do a run a long time ago across like the Mojave uh, desert, like as a, yeah, just kind of like a personal challenge. And it was like a self-supported with the stroller. Totally normal. And <laughs> totally normal. Yeah. But, who, who hasn't just run across the Mojave? But like, I do appreciate like seeing for miles and miles and miles just because it kind of like gets you in the zone and, um, sometimes when there's nothingness, I feel like more imagination and creativity. So yes, it was like that, but for the most part, it was like more a, a tunnel of trees. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a hoot. Like, so this was part of a Guinness record and the record was the most consecutive ultra marathons. And there's people who have done like, running across America would have been able to smash it, but I saw value in it for the charity to, to do something. So it was documented. And so it was just really cool. Like all the people meeting like mayors because we needed a government official to sign off that like, Oh, this is really happening. And she's really doing this, but it was just really cool going to these small towns, meeting the mayor, meeting like the local people and, um, yeah. If nothing Are you else, run, run for office now. <laughs> um, all your political connections across oh. Ohio. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I, I'm good. But um, I do hear there is a goat that's a mayor somewhere, not in Ohio, out west. I was going to say, <laughs> I had trouble getting uh, one county to sign off where the mayor was a goat. Um, <laughs> so. I mean, do you prefer desert running? Do you prefer marathons? Like, what is your go-to after doing this? Has your perspective changed on running? Um. So, yeah, like, goals were obviously finishing it, fundraising, staying friends with the crew, and then another goal was to to continue to love running. And I've definitely had that experience of doing something so much that you don't enjoy it and I can say I still enjoy running and that's really great and like I love running so much that I'm not running crazy like I'm giving myself until the end of the month to kind of get back to it but um I was thinking of doing like the 200 uh mile race across Florida um which is and I'm just thinking it might be best to push push that off for next year instead just yeah for mm. Mo, for Moab 240 or Bigfoot uh, uh, I mean okay here's Bigfoot, here's Bigfoot 200 is stunning it okay. is the most beautiful course on the planet so here's my theory about it though okay so when I'm oh, I'm Ohio girl and Maine is not I mean Maine has mountains but 
My thing about a, a lot of those 200 milers is, you know, you train, you, you train how you race. So I have more accessibility to like, yeah, flatter. But my only thing is sometimes I see that it's almost like power hiking for the two, if it's so, if there's so much incline and like my thing for Ohio was the only time I can walk is on hills and there weren't, there was one hill that I walked. So like, uh, I, I don't really, I don't know. I don't want to do power hiking, but are you really running up all these hills and down all the hills? Hell no. No, <laughs> well, you're, you're, you have hiking poles, 42,000 feet of gains. Like, yeah, it's outrageous. There's definitely, um, yeah, there's probably people that try to run some of it. Yeah, elites, but but I want to run. Yeah, no, that makes sense. If you want to run, hike. Hiking's the worst. I I think we're on the verge of having more two hundred milers coming out, um, and there are some in North Carolina. I think. Oh, um, I think the, I saw something that they did. There's a something few years called ago. like Vol State. 500k which is kind of famous i think that's all on road too um but so it's interesting you're you're looking at more established races of your type of running where it's stupid long and more extreme than a marathon or something yeah i think um so there, there, it may seem like all over the place with all these adventures, but there is an intentionality behind a lot of it. And right now, being in the Coast Guard, I do have for the next year consistent like schedule to an extent where I know I could be getting a super long run every Saturday. Um, I am uh, thinking of like transitioning to some bigger adventures. And so, um, like cycling from South to North America, about 12,000 miles. And that kind of fitness is very different than like the Ironman fitness. That's more, you know, I'll be sleeping in a tent. I'll be sick. Sometimes I'll be like, it's, it's gritty. Like it's adventure, but it's not like, Boston qualifying it's not it's not the same type of they're totally different and so as I transition to biking every day you know it's not I mean it will probably be like 60 or 70 miles but it won't be I'm not doing any intervals and so before I kind of change fitness I mean and lose the fitness that might I I, I would like to do the 200 miler before I transition to doing more yeah that kind of toury type fitness um, because I can't see a block of six, eight months where I would, yeah, I love adventure and I love. Well, if I end up doing the eco challenge ever, um, I will keep you in mind for a team member because okay. it sounds like you do it all. Although those, those climbing sections, I don't know. Um, what, what about the Coast Guard? Have you been able to apply to your your run across Ohio and just all your endurance sports? Is there? And I've talked to guys in the CIA. I've talked to Navy SEALs, all kinds of like military, just badass uh, athletes, and and they all kind of take different aspects of their 
formal training to endurance. Is there one or two things from your Coast Guard background that you apply to endurance? Um, I mean, let me think about that. I don't know. What were some of the ones that other people have? I'm just trying to think because I mean, pain, pain management. The, uh, uh, I, I just did an episode with an ex, uh, like field agent from the CIA and he talked about their training to deal with pain and how you can mentally circumvent a lot of that type of stuff. And he had all kinds of cool techniques. Um, wow. definitely check out that episode. Plugging my will. own episode. <laughs> um, okay. Ah, oh. I, I mean, <clears throat> so the physical stuff that I've done in the Coast Guard is like boot camp and officer candidate school. And, um, like they, you're waking up at 4 a.m., you're being screamed at, you're like, go, 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 go. Boot camp was two months, officer training was 17 weeks. And my fitness from the beginning and my fitness at the end probably decreased because boot camp, I was sick the whole time. And we were, I was screaming so much that I had bruised um, ribs and I would have to go to like their on-base hospital to get heat packs. And sometimes it was hard to sleep because of the breathing and like, so I definitely was, I mean, I, I remember my parents seeing my, my photo during it and they're like, we don't even, it looks like this should be on a billboard for like, help this lady. Like it looked bad. And oh, no. it, you know, my face, the color was gone. And, um, so, I mean, that's kind of from a physical point, what, what my, my, yeah, my experiences were just like, kind of um, breaking you down. And I, I didn't necessarily feel stronger. But with the Coast Guard, and with, I think all the military branches, they do authorize fitness time. And so that's something that I'm able to, you know, take advantage of. And, and yeah. uh, train a little bit during, like, my lunch break. What, was part of your application for the Coast Guard, like, you know, resume, like, oh, I, I rode across the Atlantic. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay, you're in. Um, it, we, we haven't had any other applicants uh, use that uh, one before. <laughs> um, <laughs> it was cool, like... Did they actually <clears throat> talk to you about that? Um... It's not in, like Air Force like, or anything, like, you know. So I I do kind of try to keep things a little bit separate because I think in the military they're more interested and more focused on how you're performing in your uniform. And so, like, this last adventure was with vacation time that I accrued. It wasn't, like, a, you know, a sponsored or anything yeah. like that. So... I, it's just, it. we don't have really like a big, you know, like some of the other branches might have where you can compete on behalf of the, the organization. But um, <clears throat> I don't know. I just, yeah, I think, I would say out of all the branches, it seems like the Coast Guard just kind of tries to do the job. And yeah, so I, just, I try not just to. Just in their boats chilling, just driving around. <laughs> But you like people <laughs> just looking to help, looking for sketchy boats and cruising around. 
and, and they probably all have their own little Wilson tennis balls, right? And, um, before I get myself in trouble, let's change the topic. Um, how how was it when you finally got to Cleveland? Were you or yeah, Cleveland? Were you uh, just out of your mind excited? Were you like, well, my vacation's over, like the fun's come oh, to an gosh. end, or were you just like so destroyed physically that you could not wait to get oh, there? Oh gosh, we were talking about it. Like, should we do it another one? Should we keep going? Can we do keep going? And like. When's Scott flying out? Can we do today 12? And then, can like, run, can we run back? <laughs> yeah, that's what. <laughs> like, I could just do it at Edgewater Park in circles the next day, and we could just have a cooler right there. And, and so, I mean, and then the week after, all Scott, Lori, and I, I mean, it's a team. Uh, we were just like texting, like, man, this is a bummer. And we, we just <laughs> were having the best time. We wanted to go back. And, um, I mean, that's, that's adventure. I feel like adventure is, is the life. I mean, you just wake up every day not knowing and just tr- truly discovering what's possible, what's not possible, who you're going to meet, what's going to happen. And ah, it's just, I mean, it was also cool. Like, I think this was the first time I worked on a film project and I was a little nervous. Like, well, I don't have, I might not have energy for anything, let alone this. And and it ended up being way like more helpful and I couldn't imagine not having him because he was on a, a, a e-bike. So he, Lori was meeting up every five miles. He was filling in all those little gaps and giving me water and, and the tailwind. And um, Scott was so in his element loving what he was doing as a filmmaker just to be, you know, zipping around on an e-bike outside all day and from being in an office type environment that just being around other people that are also loving it. And Lori, she's like Lori and Deb there. Deb was someone else that, that uh, joined their like crew moms love, like taking care of people and just really kind, loving yeah. people. And so if all of us are kind of doing exactly the things that we, we love doing and, um, yeah, I think it was really hard to stop. And the last day was, I mean, I did do a Red Bull, so I, I did have the assistance of caffeine, but it was my fastest I, one. I mean, you should have been doing it from day one then. Like, I mean, I... I'm a proponent there, of caffeine, but I blame Kyle Pietari, who's taught me bad habits of the super elites and... One of those is just caffeine. Like, oh yeah, I whenever mean, I asked, I was like, "Should I take caffeine now, Kyle?" And he's always like, "Yes, good idea." Like oh, every time. <laughs> no, I. Not I healthy, am. But okay. No, I. If I was doing a one-day race, I would totally be doing caffeine. Like I do them, like for my whatever, like a twenty-four-hour race, or for an Ironman, or any one-day event totally all over it for this you know you think the most important part is the running but the most important part is the recovery because whatever you do or don't do in recovery is how you're going to feel when you're running and so if I couldn't sleep already sleeping and then I do caffeine and and then I'm not able to sleep and and then you're taking I mean then you'd be in this position of taking medicine to sleep and then you'd be groggy and then you need more caffeine. And, 
And I think because I'm already so sensitive. Are you breaking down my lifestyle right now? No, but do you, do you? (laughs) That's like me. Melatonin, caffeine, melatonin, (laughs) caffeine. It's really, it's probably not a healthy routine, but with kids and work and everything else, um, I've fallen into that routine recently for sure. Well, it is summer. So I do melatonin too. And melatonin is naturally produced. So So it's healthy. I think melatonin. Yeah. Melatonin is not like. Caffeine's natural in giant dosage. Um, (laughs) It helps though, for sure. Like with, with your performance. Yeah, no, it definitely like you're, I I can tell my cadence difference between like if I look at Strava and I look at my cadence comparison, um, I can tell when I had a cup of coffee or not or whatever. Um, tell me about finishing and the charities. So you yeah. did eleven ultras in eleven days, and this is going to benefit eleven different water projects. Is that correct? And yeah. is it in Uganda? I'm trying to remember exactly. So the nonprofit is called H2O for Life, and they have been around for a decade. And they primarily work with schools, so they help connect schools in the United States to fund school-based water projects all over the world. And so they have um, partner organizations, and one of them is called the Ugandan Water Project. So they're the implementing boots on the ground, actually building these projects. And with the funds raised, um, you know, water is the exciting part of it, but they also do hand washing stations, hygiene education, latrines, and for these projects in particular, it was it's sixteen dollars to help one person get one student get clean water, and so um, yeah, it's pretty incredible how much impact can be made on very little. And so they, with H two O for Life and Ugandan Water Project, they were able to pick out the eleven schools that are in need of funding, and and so yeah, that was kind of like the the bigger bigger vision behind it. And so the fundraising goal was 34,000 or $100 a mile for the 341 miles. And the night before the finish, um, the fundraising goal was reached. So it was just like a really cool way to finish in my hometown um, and know that, you know, the hardest part in that sense was over. And um, right now it's around like almost $40,000 for that's huge. For yeah. Congrats. I'm, I'm blown away. Like that's, that's yeah, you should amazing. be very proud. I mean, that helps a lot of people. And what is more fundamental than just clean drinking water? Like yeah, I know, right? it's, it's so fundamental and yeah, you've, you've definitely done an amazing job. And I, I love when people combine their passion for an endurance sport of any means, but then with helping others, it's just like a beautiful, beautiful thing. So big congrats to you on that. Thank you. I mean, it was really humbling just knowing that people heard the message and, and were encouraged to do something. And I hope that anyone who does donate is reassured to see on the website where it all goes and, and become more invested in, in learning more and 
um, yeah, it's, it's cool. Yeah, no, it's awesome. Um, so I have two more questions for you and I appreciate all your time. Most importantly, we were messaging and you were talking about rollerblading and I, I referenced like a 1980s like uh, Cincinnati yeah. rollerblading movie. I can't um, believe it. I've never what, seen that movie. You need to. I don't even remember the name of it. Uh, <laughs> but tell us about the uh, the rollerblading that you're doing, or what are you thinking about? Some endurance oh, rollerblading yeah. across. Yeah, of course. Probably a state or something goofy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, pretty much. Um, so. I do have a mini adventure coming up, uh, cycling across the main coastline. So that's like a six day, 60 miles a day from like Canada down to Kittery. And the rollerblading one is next February. So there's this company called Power Slide and they're based in Germany and they do off-road rollerblades. So off, what, what? Yeah, off-road. I'm learning so much during this conversation. Um, and what? You they, could take them on. Any- yeah. Really? It's, uh, I saw the video and I was like, I got to have these. And so I do have right now the three-wheel ones, like the big wheel because you go faster. But yeah. these ones will be great because, I mean, it is on a trail, but I'm sure there will be parts that, you know, who knows, we might need. It, it, it it's not going to hurt to have have these types of wheels but um so it's like 100 130 ish miles from key largo to key west so a large part of it will be on water like there's one bridge called the seven mile bridge um the keys but uh yeah there's this? In, february? in february yeah the okay. florida keys there's a, there's that 100 miler there too. I yeah, I just signed up for that in May. Oh, so have I'm, you? I'm I'm oh. doing it on foot. <laughs> uh, hopefully, Badwater 135 training, because um, it gets so hot. But yeah. you doing that in February makes a lot of sense. The movie's called Airborne. I I have oh, to okay. go look that up. Maybe the greatest 80s rollerblading movie of all times, <laughs> or early gonna- 90s. I'm definitely going to have to watch that with my friend. This one's a, a friend one. I'm doing it. I think okay. it'll be fun. I've done a lot of solo ones and I feel like rollerblading, you definitely, you look so goofy. You can't do it by yourself. You got to do the buddy system, I think. But, uh, wow. Yeah. I actually emailed their race director because I was curious about the wind because, oh, Bob, when, or... yeah, yeah, because, Usually when people, like when I cycled across America, you start from west to east because generally, but I understand, you know, there's not much, you just go down a teeny bit, but I was just curious because rollerblading in the headwind, I'd rather run than rollerblade in the the headwind. It's just. Because the wheels yeah. can go backwards at least. Oh, yeah. that sounds awful. Yeah. So I, I, I am, I, di- I didn't hear back, but. I was well, curious about was, the wind situation. Out, yeah, he's just out. Uh, ironically enough, he ran in a 20-mile-an-hour, like, sand headwind at the beginning of Badwater this year. No. Bob, yeah, Bob Becker is his name. I'm going to have him on uh, for episode. And 
he he had trouble and had to drop. He was going to be the no. oldest finisher of of Badwater. I think he's seventy. He's seventy six right now. Um, so I was really bummed. I was pulling oh, for no. him, but that's probably why he hasn't gotten back to you this week or last week because that like oh, just gosh. took place. Um, yeah. Let me. See. I'm curious when I emailed him. It was a couple months ago. Oh, he'll get back. There he is. He's a good guy. Bob Becker. Yep. So, uh, beyond the rollerblading project in the potential kind of 200-miler across Florida, are you planning rowing ever again? Or are you just so burnt out? Um, I'm joking. And I haven't read your book yet. I know. I have your book, and I have not read it yet. Oh, that's okay. Um, uh, no, I I think I would be okay without ever rowing again. <laughs> Are you serious? I have not rowed since the Atlantic. I didn't except, know that. I thought you threw it in once in a while. Uh, swimming, I did a swimming adventure. And uh, I will swim if there's biking and running involved. Otherwise, swimming and rowing. Like, if I could have pedal-powered across the Atlantic, I would have pedal-powered, pedal, and rather than row. Um, okay. Yeah, but... Interesting. I, I, I didn't know how to row before I decided. Interesting. I learned in the process of deciding. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. That's kind of how my ultra-running started. So, uh, we have a lot in common. I appreciate all your time. Where can we follow you on social media? Do you want to shout out any sponsors? And um, yeah, thank you for joining me for this episode. Yeah. So to follow on like Instagram, it's just Katie Spots and Facebook, it's Hello Katie Spots. And shout out to Tailwind, Garmin, and Sawyer. Sawyer is the company that uh, sponsored the film. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, stay in touch if you're ever in Colorado. You go hit the trails or maybe i'll get you out to row again so no uh, (laughs) have have a great night and uh thanks again for joining me yeah it was fun that was episode 175 big thank you to katie for taking so much of her time just it's refreshing to hear such an honest view and such an inspiring view in someone that really is acting very selflessly and and raising so much money for others. Um, Big thank you to the John Wayne Cancer Foundation and the Grit Series. Definitely check out that Flagstaff Arizona Half Marathon, September 4th. Really awesome. Big thank you to Tannery Outdoors, all-natural skin protection for runners by runners. And, of course, Exoskin, toe socks or no toe socks. It's a a solid, high-tech fabric. And thank you to your Patreon supporters. You guys are probably in the loop on what's going on, but it's a busy week. Don't forget to check out the uh, the live, the YouTube live stream of Harvey Lewis and Dion Leonard coming up here on Thursday. That will also be rolled out as a podcast. But most importantly, don't forget to enjoy your training. Have a great week. See you.